Broadcast out of New York City, you're listening to Prescriptions for Health on the Progressive Radio Network on Monday, April 21st, 2014. I'm Dr. Len Saputo. And I'm registered nurse Vicki Saputo. Thank you for joining us on Prescriptions for Health on the Progressive Radio Network on the first and third Monday of every month from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time and from 7 to 8 a.m. Pacific Time. And remember that our shows are archived and available 24-7 on prn.fm and drsaputo.com. Today you're hearing Nurse Vicki's 2020 Health Tips at 20 after and 20 to the hour. And we've got another really good show for you today that's going to include the regrets of the dying as lessons for the living. And what to do and say to a friend who's seriously ill. And is the Gulf War illness a real illness or is this just in people's heads? And can erectile dysfunction be reversed without medication? And what's the relationship between vitamin D levels and heart disease? Hmm. It's really important, you know, to have a meaningful purpose in life and to have a passion in our life. And we talk about this frequently as part of a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, that's what life is about. So after a lot of years of feeling pretty unfulfilled at her job, Bronnie Ware set out to find something that resonated with her soul. And she ended up in palliative care where she spent many years helping people that were dying. Mm -hmm. And this was published in uh, the Huffington Post. Right. And she compiled a list of the most common regrets uh, expressed by people that were dying. Mm -hmm. You know, we've often cared for the dying as a doctor and a nurse. And I know that I certainly did, especially with with my parents when they were dying. Yeah. So this is something that all of us should be keeping in mind because it's really important for our happiness right now, too. Well, it's when you think about the things that you miss in life. It's too late, you know, at the end of life. Jean Shinoda Bolin wrote a book called Close to the Bone where she talks about uh, how when we're near death or someone we love is near death, uh, changes our value system. It's not so much about how much money we have in the bank or our real estate portfolio or how many jewels we have. It's about relationships and how we can make them better and have them meaningful. And a lot of the time, there's a lot of regret that we didn't do that when we had time. Well, here's one that many people said was that they wish that they'd had the courage to live life true to themselves, not the life others expected of them. Oh, yeah. And she said that this was the most common regret of all of them. That's what I work with with people in my office more than anything else, Vicki. It's about being authentic. And that is a huge word. See, authenticity isn't just about being honest or, or telling the truth. It's about revealing your inner feelings and wearing them on your forehead or on your shoulders so people can know how you feel. And you're strong enough to be able to present how you feel rather than hold back and judge and say, gee, if I say how I feel, I'm going to be rejected or it might not be okay. Being authentic is being the real you and letting those little thoughts that come out of, out of you, uh, deep in your heart out. Well, if the other person listens... Well, it should be aside from what the other person because does. sometimes when people in relationship, one person wants to do it a certain way, and the other one to kind of keep peace or to go along and be supportive and so forth ends up doing their li- life for the other person. Well, authenticity is about not worrying about what the other person thinks and making sure that your true self is expressed. Because so when say- the end of your life is is coming about and you look back on it 
it's easy for a lot of people to see how many of their dreams have gone unfulfilled. Well, if and, you don't know who you are and express who you are, then how in the world will you be able to be who you are actually? Because we hold back. I see so many uh, people. Well, a lot of people don't know who they are. <laughs> well, when you listen to that little voice, that little voice knows. But in actuality, what we do is we put that little with that little voice, we put it in jail, and say, "Oh no, you can't do that one because if you do, if you express how you feel or say what you think, uh, people are going to get on you, or maybe an authority figure or a role model in your life will have had." Uh, some effect on you that makes you feel like you can't be that way because it's not okay. And so I see a lot of people coming to me with a lot of stuffed emotions, a lot of stuffed feelings. And when they don't express it, it leads to physical disability. That's why they get the ulcers and the back pains and the headaches and a lot of things that they get. So it's about being authentic. And life is about choices. Absolutely about choices. But you need to be able to express them. Well, people don't realize, too, that health brings a freedom that very few people realize until they don't have it. That's the real freedom, is the freedom to express yourself. So if you will express yourself in that way, then you will be true to your heart and you will be able to be free about how you express yourself and how you behave. So many people have inhibitions because they've got that superego judging what they're saying. Well, should I really say this? It's like when you're in a class and you maybe you're a little insecure and the professor's tough and you're going, gee, should I raise my hand or not? The person that's authentic would raise their hand and say, gee, professor, what do you think about this? And just put it out there on the table. It's the same thing with personal relationships, particularly those relationships where there's lots of challenges. Well, this is um, like one of, one of the other ones that's talking about expressing their feelings, uh-huh. where they said, I wish that I had had the courage to express my feelings because a lot of people suppress their feelings in order to keep peace, like you just said, and then they end up settling for mediocre existence and they never become who they're truly capable of becoming. Well, And then a lot of them developed those uh, illnesses that you were talking about uh-huh. by stuffing their bitterness and stuffing their resentment that they carried around with them as a result of yeah. that. Yeah. See, so the real problem is, is they put their true self, that little girl or that little boy that has feelings and ideas, they put that person in jail. And they won't let them out because they don't trust that person. Well, maybe they've been criticized for it as a Absolutely. child or by a teacher. Exactly right. It's interesting how powerful words are and can really affect somebody. Oh, for sure. And... and these are really crucial things that are important to to pay attention to because that's what causes a lot of the frustration in life. And it's why we we don't act in a free sort of way and we're overthinking things or worrying about things rather than being in the moment. Life should be lived in the moment and should be expressed freely. Well, but it I takes also... a kind of seasoning, too, because you're not going to go out there and do things that are going to hurt other people. So you have to learn where that balance is. And I think parents many times don't realize the, the, the effect that they're having on their kids when they say things without thinking first. Oh, You know, yeah. then it can affect their child's life forever. A lot of kids have lots of problems, and it's why they act out. It's what causes bullying. It's what causes people to do things even like mass killings 
or enjoy doing things to animals that is that is a terrible thing to do. There's a balance between expressing who you are and doing it in a way that it doesn't affect others. It's sort of like you have to follow the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd like done unto yourself. But those values need to come from people who are balanced themselves. And that's why you wouldn't want the bully to let that little inner child out so much because it may cause somebody else a lot of grief. So the responsibility then of a parent and of the role models of that child is to be able to give that child confidence, teach them how to express themselves, not do terrible things to them. I mean, you take a child and and you beat them, for example, or they're abused uh, sexually or uh, emotionally. emotionally. They're going to do things to to express themselves, and there has to be a way in therapy to be able to allow those kids to be able to learn that what happened to them wasn't right and that there's a lot of compassion for them and to teach them real values for themselves and and for others. And parents need to realize that these children are little people that are going to grow up and they're going to remember a lot of these things that you do and say. Well, that's for sure. (laughs) And, and, And they will not be able to be useful people who are balanced in society if they don't have a value system themselves that's built on unhealthy thinking. So you can't give what you don't have. If you don't have self-love, self-appreciation, self-value, it's very difficult to give to others authentically because, you can't. again, you can't give what you don't have. These are the things that we should be spending in education for our children uh, when they're in school, particularly their early years, so that we deal with these problems rather than punish them and make things worse and have them suppress the challenges that they're facing that come out in a hostile or aggressive way. So here's another one. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And this Mm. came, she said, this came from every male patient that she took care of. (laughs) Are you talking to me, Vicky? (laughs) Is that, am I working too hard? She said that that they miss their children's youth Mm. and their partner's companionship. Mm -hmm. And women also spoke of this regret, but as most were from an older generation that she took care of, many of the female patients hadn't been the breadwinners. But all of the men that she took care of deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. Well, well, you can see how this can happen, and especially if you're driving during rush hour and you see all the people that are coming home so late at night or going to work so early in the morning. They're tired when they get home. Look at the value system, Vicki. It's about money and power. And so success is equated to having a lot of money and having a lot of power. And I, I relate to this this to what I call the 6-6 six, six syndrome. Yeah. Up at 6, home at 6, eat dinner, watch a little TV, mess around with the kids for a few minutes, and get up and do it again five or six days, or some people, seven days a week. What does that get you? That gets you money and power. What doesn't it get you? Healthy relationships with your family or with other people that maybe you could spend that way. Because it's not about the things that we have in life. It's about the relationships we have in life and how valuable uh, and how valuably we look at them. And the other thing is that a lot of these people that come home from work at the 6 o'clock time that you're talking about, oh, yeah. um, they're really tired. Oh, yeah. Well, they've been up for uh, since 6 in the morning, 
and they spent the whole day there. And they've been in commute traffic, and then they get home, and the kids are happy to see them, and their wife is maybe maybe complaining about all the laundry she had to do or something, and she wants some help, and And, it's like, let me just go. Well, I remember when I was was. Um, a single parent, and I'd be driving home from work, and I think, gosh, I wish I had a wife to, you know, cook <laughs> dinner and do the laundry and oh, yeah. and all that because it's difficult being a, a single parent too. There's well, a lot of added responsibility and things to do, and so people have to. What I learned with my children is when I got home, and they learned pretty fast that I said. Mommy has to take a nap. Yeah, right. Because and they learned pretty quick that if I didn't get my nap, I was going to be crabby. So mm-hmm. take let me take my nap, and then I can be sure. with you. And well, there's a value, okay, in in making money. You have to have a way to pay the rent, and to buy food, and to do some of the things you like to do in life. But there's also a balance there, and the balance in our society is is really not like it would be in a village. In a village, the in- intent is to support everybody for the benefit of the whole. And there is some of that thinking in our society for sure, but it's gotten out of hand. And so we focused really hard on the money and on the power, the prestige, how people look up or down to you. Respect. Yeah, respect. Rather than building community, which is more about relationships and working together so that we can bring healthy relationships, and build community that's true community. Well, this leads into the other one Mm -hmm. that says, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Mm. But of course, you know, email does make it a lot easier to keep in touch with friends. But one of the things that she was talking about with the benefits of, of old friends is that a lot of times people were dying and that's when they realized because a lot of them had been so caught up in their lives and they let go of these golden friendships yeah. and they j- just kind of slipped away over the years. And there were a lot of deep regrets about not giving those friendships the time and the effort that they deserved mm-hmm. because everybody misses their friends when they're dying and vice versa. Well, If you have a friend that died and then you think, oh, I let it go. I was going to call them and I kept putting it off or we whatever. We do the same thing for our families. We even do the same thing for our immediate family, you know, the, our spouse or our kids. We don't spend as much time. It's it's it's. Uh, it's like, well, they're always there. So, you know, I, I'll do it tomorrow or whatever. It's but, like the song, The Cat in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon. Right. Remember that song? It. I can't remember the words to it <laughs> except for that part of it. But it, it's talking about what happens when our values are focused on something other than the things that are the really most precious to us. You know what I'm finding really helps is email. Well, it it keeps them going, but it's a device that's used for people that have maybe too many friends they're trying to juggle around, or they're not really present with that person because there's a difference about sitting next to someone or across from someone and trying to... But if you have friends that live far away or something... But we've become what? A a digitalized world. Mm -hmm. And we don't have the personal things in it so much that... That we used to have. Well, yeah, a lot, the, a lot of times it, inter- the, it interferes. You go out to a restaurant and you see families and everybody's sitting there doing their oh, phones, yeah. the parents and the kids. Well, I grew <laughs> up in an era before TV was existing. Well, so did I. Yeah, it was a totally different thing. And the radio was as far as we got away from it. Now we're so technically connected. 
uh, to the world that we've lost the personal touch, the side that where you're together, where you're sitting back and having a meal together, or you're you're talking about your innermost issues in the presence of somebody else. Just being with people. Being, being with, being present, being with people, and being deeper in the moment in the in the most profound way that we can. That's really what that's about. Well, and then here's one that says, I wish that I had let myself be happier. And mm. she, she said, uh, this Bronnie Ware, mm-hmm. that it was a surprisingly common one. And many people didn't realize until the end that happiness is a choice. They'd stayed stuck in their old patterns and habits. And um, they had this fear of change that had them pretending to others to be themselves, that they were content when deep within they long to laugh properly and have silliness again in their lives. Yeah, well, that goes back to being authentic again. If you can really be present, not censor your thoughts, and and express yourself freely, all of a sudden all the worries that we have about what's happening and we're living in the future or regretting what happened in the past takes us away from the present. And the present is our gift from the universe. It's all we really have. That's real and it's now. It's like looking at a a five-year-old little girl that's looking at a flower with a bee on it and is so engrossed on that. And you say, Julie, it's time for lunch. She doesn't hear anything. Mm -hmm. She's so present. She's not worried about if the bee is going to sting her or if it's okay to look at the flower or if there's something wrong with what she's doing. Just present. And those are the kinds of things that we have to allow ourselves to do so that we can be deeply engrossed in the moment without the inhibitions that come that say, is this okay? I know that with my friends, I have um, different friends and I, obviously everybody has different Mm -hmm. friends, but I mean, I, I'm a little bit different with all, each one of them Yeah, because that's how your relationship is, you know? Like, how are you with your grandchildren compared to how are you with a friend or your spouse? But there's one thing that's constant, and that's being present. That's the rule. And that doesn't mean having inhibitions. It doesn't mean worrying. It doesn't mean about being depressed about something. It means being present and engaged in the moment. And I think it's really important to have relationships where you can have fun and you can be silly even if they're not so crazy about it, you need to do that to be true to yourself because it's healthy. But one of the things that wasn't mentioned here that I want to throw out is mm-hmm. is people, I think it's important to think about your relationship with God. Mm, the spiritual side of life. And yeah, also the most important of all. And also I just wanted to throw out, um, yesterday we were talking to our daughter mm-hmm. and she was telling us about her neighbor that had stage four uh, oh, cancer yeah. that had metastasized and, and he's been getting chemotherapy and so forth. Uh-huh. But anyway, she said that he has such a wonderful attitude. She saw him the other day driving up the street in his Volkswagen, new Volkswagen bus because uh-huh. he'd always wanted one his whole life. So he uh-huh. finally got it and he had on this funky hat. <laughs> And he smiles and he's happy and yeah. he's taking his kids to school and yeah. to their uh, right. programs after school and so sure. forth and driving himself to his chemo appointments and he's happy. Yeah. And he's even helping a neighbor, another neighbor that has ALS yeah. that needs help and the neighbors have all been trying to help her. And she said one of the things she wanted was coffee in the morning and he's like, oh, well, I go get coffee yeah, every morning. Wonderful. So its attitude is so important. Well, when you're closer to death, or someone you love is closer to death, their value system changes. We'll go back to Jean Shinoda Bolon again in her book, Close to the Bone. 
a beautiful way to have a value system that works. All right, you're listening to Prescriptions for Health. I'm Dr. Len Sabuda here with Nurse Vicki, and it's time for Nurse Vicki's first 2020 tip on things to stop doing to yourself. And when we come back, we're talking about what do you do and say to a friend who is sick? Things to stop doing to yourself. Stop spending time with the wrong people, for one thing. (laughs) Right. And don't run from your problems because... They're what mold us into the person that we become. You can't lie to yourself. The most difficult chance that we can take is to be honest with ourselves. Something to think about. Be authentic, huh? Help others, but always remember to help yourself too (laughs) and to follow your passion. Don't change so people will like you. Be yourself and the right people will love the real you. Yeah, they'll want to be with you. Life is too short to spend time with people who suck the happiness out of you. Boy, isn't that the truth. Yeah, if you let them, that's right. Stop trying to hold on to the past. Move on to the next chapter of your life. Let it go. It's not always that easy to do. Success has a trail of failures. We regret the things we didn't do more than the things that we did do. So do something and stop being scared to make a mistake. Mm, So right is you're not your mistakes. Things that happen in your life prepare you for what is yet to come. It's how to learn how to do it right. <laughs> you got to make <laughs> yeah. mistakes. That's right. It's really hard as a parent to watch kids, your kids oh. make mistakes. We all want to save them, you know, and, and it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, well, that's tough love for parents. Yeah. <laughs> not for kids, but for parents. That's right. Things that really satisfy us are free. Love, laughter, and working on our passions. Mm. Stop looking to others for happiness. You must create stability in your own life first before you can share it with somebody else. You can't give what you don't have. A lot of people are like, well, if I find the right guy or if I get the right house or if I get the right whatever. Exactly. So don't think too much or you'll create a problem. (laughs) That's right. Making progress involves risk. You know, this is, I've, I've noticed that some people really do do this when they have too much idle time. They just start making problems. <laughs> That's right. Most great opportunities force us to grow beyond our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Isn't that the truth? Absolutely. It's better to be alone than to be in bad company. <laughs> Fall in love when you're ready, not when you're lonely. Ah, big difference between being alone and being lonely. Yeah. And look for relationships that bring out the best in you. Oh, those are such, that's such a good tip. It really capitalizes on a lot of what we talked about in the previous segment. Yep. That's great stuff. And now we even have more that seems related. Okay. Because have you ever had a friend who was seriously ill and you didn't know what to do or to say? Oh, that's been my life as a doctor, is learning that over the last 50 years. Sometimes people just avoid doing or saying anything because they're so afraid that they might do or say the wrong thing. Well, they don't know what to say because they're not trained. And being with someone who's ill, that's really ill, how do you manage that? You know, it's, Well, maybe it's one, the best thing is to just to ask them. You could. The things we're trained as doctors and nurses is to learn how to treat them. You know, what drugs to use, what technologies, how to work things up and to tell people what the, what, what's going on. But the personal relationships where we listen and care, that gets messed up a lot of the time because we don't, we don't get trained in that. And it's so vital. Well, I subscribe to a magazine that's called More mm-hmm. Magazine. It's a woman for 
it's a magazine for women over 40. And sometimes it has some really interesting articles. And this was one that grabbed my attention. It was written by Adana Nakazawa. Uh-huh. And she had the misfortune of having Gillian Barre syndrome. Oh, boy. Not once, but twice. Yeah, that's where with, you're totally paralyzed. It's a, you, you can't even blink sometimes with that. And it lasts for months. And one of the things that she said was that when we're unable to uh, care for ourselves, it's often difficult to ask others to help, especially knowing that they have busy lives. Mm. So we're going to talk about what you can do to help an ill friend that's in need. And uh, this gal, Don, really came from her own personal experience. I can sure remember an experience you had with somebody who had Guillain-Barre. But Remember that was that? in the hospital. This is, was after she got home. I know, but I was just thinking what, what you did in the hospital is a perfect example of what a nurse should be like. I mean, you, you knew everything about that man, and he couldn't talk. He could only move a, a little he bit. He could just move his head. Yeah, and his eyes. And that was, and that but was some people it. can't. Some people, even their li- eyes are paralyzed. So Everything. with your sensitivity, you knew that man. And you knew how to give him what he needed. And he so valued it because when he came out of that, he, he was in love with you basically because you were so fantastic to him. If I ever get sick, I want you as my nurse, <laughs> Nurse Vicky. <laughs> well, thank you. Anyway, Donna's friend stepped up to the plate for her. She was really lucky. She must be a wonderful person that her friends cared about her this much. Mm-hmm. They would help her kids get off to school in the morning. They kind of had like a, a tree of of friends with kind of duties that they had stepped up to the plate. Some came over to get her kids off to school, put the back packs on them and drove them. And Uh one of them brought coffee in the morning. Another one brought her lunch. Another stopped by. Others would just stop by to visit. And she said some of her friendships got stronger and other ones frayed. I've heard other people say things like that. That, that that's when you know who your real friends are, your true friends are. But not everybody is able to step up to the plate and do things like that. Some people, it's really difficult for them. And to oh. see somebody that they care about to be so helpless and to be so sick, and they don't really know what to do. Those are the people that when they go to see her, they should go with somebody else yeah. to help them or even to tell the person this, I know, you know, I feel bad that you're going through this, and, and I just want you to know that it. It's difficult for me, too. Well, you have to be present first, and then you have to do two things. You have to listen and care. And if you can get those feelings across, that person's going to know that you're an important person to them, and you'll have a relationship that has uh, trust in it and value. Well... Friends can contribute to the healing. In fact, we we don't Absolutely. need to know that there's backup studies, but there are studies that were done in U.S. and Australia that showed that positive relationships improve outcomes. Because one of the things, I think, is because it reduces stress, and mm-hmm. stress leads to inflammation. So mm-hmm. if you can get rid of that, you know, that helps. But for organizing meals and all these other things, child care, food shopping, house cleaning, oh, boy, yeah. supporting the caregiver, walking the dog, all oh, these yeah. are things that people can do. Yeah. But there's also websites that can be helpful. There's <laughs> one that's called Mealtrain.com, another one that's called LotsaHelpingHands.com. <laughs> there's great. another one called CaringBridge.org, uh-huh. and it's a personalized private social networking site, too, because sometimes people like to follow on how somebody's doing and what their progress Well, are. these are people who are listening to what the needs are, who are caring about how the person feels, 
and actually doing the support that they need to be able to to get through this difficult time because they don't have a village at home necessarily. In fact, you're it. The friends uh, that, that, are, that are your real friends, your family and friends are the ones that are going to do that. Well, so they st- interviewed women, and, and a lot of the women said that they preferred to be helped by friends, mm-hmm. women friends. That's rather- because there's something called trust, and you know what to expect. So if you decide you want to take this on for a friend, you need to realize that sometimes they have personality changes or they could be a little moody or whatever because of of what they're going through. Oh, for sure. And some helpful things to say, like if a person's in pain, you know, like not to rush them and say something insensitive, like, well, just be positive or whatever, (laughs) you know, things like, you know, that sounds tough or I'm really sorry and I want to understand more. I'll pray for you. Things like that. And ask what they're the most concerned about and what they want, because Uh they can tell you if you ask them, you know. Yeah. Well, the amount of pain that you have depends a lot on uh, what's happening at the time. You can't be in two places at one time. So if you can get somebody engaged in uh, something other than the pain that's personal and important to them, the pain oftentimes will disappear. And think about things you can do to lighten their load, you know, so they can can have the energy to get better and just support their family and spouse and so forth. But the the main thing here is to, it's better to try and to show you care than to not do it at all. Even if you botch it up, it's better to, to just to do something. Okay. Well, it's time for a network station break. You're listening to Prescriptions for Health. I'm Dr. Len Saputa here with Nurse Vicki, and we'll be right back with more Prescriptions for Health radio. And we'll be talking about the Gulf War illness. Is this an illness that veterans have been faking like the government has really been suggesting over the past 20 years? Or is this something that's a real illness that should be dealt with? We now have that information. Welcome back to Prescriptions for Health. I'm Dr. Len Saputo here with Nurse Vicki. During the 1990-91 Desert Storm Gulf War in Kuwait, the soldiers were widely exposed to a toxic soup combination of chemical nerve gas, nerve gas pretreatment pills, pesticides, multiple vaccines over a short period of time, diet drinks that were left in the hot sun sometimes for up to two months, not to mention the stress of being at war. Yeah, well, it was a war. <laughs> a lot of bad things happened in a war. A lot of toxic exposures. And all these factors combined cannot be ruled out as the probable cause of the Gulf War Syndrome, which has now been shown by researchers to impair the function of the cell's mitochondria. That's the energy ATP of the cells. And accounts for the symptoms of this troubling illness affecting so many veterans and even their offspring. You know, it's, it's the way the government often works. They take these poor young boys, they send them off to war, they, they come back with all these horrible things happening to them, and then they have symptoms that they don't really understand that well or don't want to understand that well, and then they don't give them benefits to, to get them out of the things that are going to ruin the rest of their life if they're not taken care of. Well, when you look at all the symptoms, um, you can see why 
the government or the pe- people that were, you know, seeing them to take care of them would think, you know, it's just like there's so many symptoms. Well, it's like chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, like fibromyalgia, like multiple chemical sensitivities all balled up into one. So these poor soldiers have got lots of, of disability that's phenomenal. So maybe they were just like overwhelmed with all their symptoms and just said, this has to be psychological. There's- no, no, I don't. Well, some of that's true. You know, there are always those naysayers who don't want to look at what's actually happening. But the bottom line here, it's about money. You can bet that it is. And who who to uh, be, I mean, why be like that to these people who are saving our you know, supposed to be saving our country in this war. So the study was done at the University of uh, San Diego School of Medicine, and basically it was published in the March issue of the journal Public Library of Science 1. And what they did is they looked at a way of measuring mitochondrial defects in energy production. What does that mean? The mitochondria is the energy packet of the cell that makes... ATP, which is what makes the body run. Gas runs a car. ATP runs our cells. And without ATP, you can't get anything done. You're going to be weak and fatigued, and and you're going to tire out easily. You're going to have cognitive disabilities, muscle problems, exercise intolerance, lots of neurological manifestations. Headaches. Yeah, gastrointestinal problems. You're really sick. And when they did this study, what they did is they looked at Foster's 31 Magnetic Resonance resonance Spectroscopy, a fancy name for saying they could measure the actual activity of the mitochondria in making ATP. Now, what's really neat is there's a, a way of doing this in clinical practice now. In fact, we just purchased a machine that's called a bioenergy uh, test machine that looks at lots of things. It measures ATP production from the mitochondria during exercise so it would expose these people along with everybody else who has a chronic illness like chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia or Lyme disease or cancer because they're all associated with defects in energy production. It also measures pulmonary function testing. It does a modified stress test. And, of course, it looks at all these things that have to do with energy production. So we're really excited to have this machine. And the Gulf War people should be very excited to use this machine because we've known about it for a long time. They should Nobody's get one, wanted, too. Well, they have it. You can bet they have it. But they haven't really taken it seriously. That's why it's nice to see another modality that was done with this magnetic resonance spectroscopy that showed the same thing. The mitochondria don't work. And when that happens, you have a way of measuring what's wrong with the mitochondria and doing a resuscitation of that mitochondria by looking at the energy pathways that are uh, happening inside the cell that will divulge that. So how do you treat it when it's divulged? Well, you look at all these blocks that there are in energy metabolism that make ATP, and then you know how to support it by giving different kinds of supplements that will support the, the normal production of ATP. Well, like what kind of supplements would that be? It would depend on what the tests show, but things like Quenzyme Q10 or uh, carnitine. I mean, there's a, a lot that can be used that will help to support the production of, of energy. So we're really on to something here that's it's making a big difference for these poor veterans. 
I thought when I looked back over this, what was causing all their symptoms, Mm -hmm. it was pretty interesting. Like, for example, they gave them something like 17 different vaccines over a very short period of time, which is known to trigger central nervous system problems already. Well, it does. We know that some of the vaccines cause Guillain-Barre syndrome, which we were just talking about. And that's a central nervous system. Oh, it does all kinds of things, and there's a lot of data. You know, the person you were looking at, Russell Blaylock, uh, who is a a neurosurgeon who's learned a lot about things like this, writes about it all the time, and he's right on the money. Well, the other thing is that the... um, pyridostigmine bromide pills were Uh given as investigational preventive antidote to the nerve gas weapons. Well, they they were just testing it on them. Well, they do that all the time. I mean, these are pawns in a war. Okay, soldiers are pawns in a war. And it's not a big chessboard. And they're doing all the things they can to try and prevent or, or to keep the soldiers in action. And then they'll take risks because we don't have all the data because it looks like a reasonable gamble to them. But it sure isn't doing much in terms of um, using good science or or protecting these poor kids. And then when it happens to, to deny it and send them out on the streets to be the homeless people on the streets of New York or San Francisco or Chicago or L.A. is just too much. Well, then the other thing is, when we're talking about this toxic soup, they had diet drinks. I don't know why they were giving them diet drinks. But yeah. anyway, with aspartame in the in the aluminum cans. Right. And they were exposed to up to two months in the hot sun. And their sun was like 120 degrees. Oh, yeah. That caused them to release aluminum, which is known to interact with aspartame, mm-hmm. as well as interacting with vaccines, creating this toxic soup and damaging the mitochondria of the cell. It also produces methanol, okay, which is wood alcohol, and formaldehyde. So you're looking at things that are super toxic to the brain. And it's not in, in mount, amounts that are totally insignificant. So there's lots of reasons why these Well, that's a little soon to be giving them the formaldehyde while they're still alive. Well, well, that's what happens. I mean, that's what happens to us when we drink those diet drinks, too, when it's left out in the sun. Well, we don't know where those cans have been when we drink them. Well, well, we don't drink them, but when people drink them, you don't know how long they've been sitting in the sun. You're right. They they could have been in Kuwait. (laughs) Well, well, yeah, that's right. So this this is something that's a serious illness that we're now learning a lot more about that's giving us some kind of idea of of how uh, how the mechanism works. And then it can even cause them to have babies that have problems. Mm, right. But what would be some of the specific treatment for this? I mean, what about acupuncture? Well, there are a whole lot of things to support people who are ill. And the first thing you want to do is treat the cause, okay, if you can, so all these toxic exposures, which have made it difficult for people to detoxify because it's just too much, first you want to remove the toxic exposures. Then you want to go ahead and diagnose it using this bioenergy test that we're talking about. And then lastly, you want to look at the metabolic defects that are present so you can do something to try and repair them. And that's about as much as we'll have time for, unfortunately. You're listening to Prescriptions for Health. I'm Dr. Len Sabuti here with Nurse Vicki, and it's time for Nurse Vicki's final 2020 tip on 
Love making tips for seniors. Oh, that's going to be cute. And when we come back, we'll be talking about can erectile dysfunction be reversed without medication? And lastly, what's the relationship between vitamin D levels and heart disease? Well, I have some lovemaking tips here for seniors. Oh, great. Wear your glasses to make sure your partner is actually in bed. Oh, jeez. Set the timer for three minutes in case you doze off in the middle. Oh, that'll be the day. Set the mood with lighting. Turn them all off. Oh, things look less wrinkly in the dark. Is that what you mean? Make sure you put 911 on your speed dial before you begin. Mm. Write your partner's name on your hand just in case you can't remember. Oh, oh, that's a serious mistake. Use extra polygrip so your teeth don't end up under the bed. (laughs) I've still got my teeth, thank you. Have Tylenol ready just in case you actually do complete the act. (laughs) And make all the noise you want because the neighbors, they're deaf too. (laughs) Well, that's an inspiring little... uh group of tips to follow what people can look forward to (laughs) yeah i wonder when old age starts when do you think that is well you know seriously (laughs) all laughing aside erectile dysfunction is likely to be related to a man's health and linked to other health problems and male sexual arousal is a complex process that involves the brain the hormones the emotions the nerves the muscles and the blood vessels So we're going to discuss recent research that focuses on the major lifestyle risk factors and how many are modifiable and can be reversed naturally without medication. I think that's good. And at the same time, we don't want to leave out the emotional side of it because there are a lot of reasons why men can't perform. Well, we didn't leave that that. out. (laughs) No, we didn't. Well, that's for sure. But this article really sort of minimizes it. I guess it's because they're more into the physical side of this. But there but are it, a lot of physical things that oh, no question. Can contribute to That's it. That's right. And what they found in the study that was done out of the University of Adelaide was published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine in March of 2014. It said over a five-year period, about 31% of the 810 men that they studied developed some form of erectile dysfunction. So it was really almost one out of three men developed that. Of course, at that at the at the older age group, in the older age group, there are a lot of health issues that come up that are associated with it. But sometimes with younger men too, because we're looking at things like just being overweight, or drinking too much alcohol, or having trouble sleeping, with, or sleep apnea, or, or being older, or maybe having uh, a disease such as diabetes or hypertension. Well, those are markers, actually. Absolutely. I mean, if you have that, you can expect that you may run into a problem with erectile dysfunction. Yeah, so if you do have those things, um, the doctor needs to. Well, the doctor needs to work on it, and you need to do what you can to have a healthier lifestyle so you can not have those diseases. Because what you're really looking at here is is a disease of lifestyle most of the time, particularly if you're talking about these particular. And some of the some of the other causes uh, besides um, heart disease and atherosclerosis would be high uh, cholesterol and high hypertension mm-hmm. and Parkinson's disease and, oh, yeah. and MS and low testosterone. Yeah, everybody's talking about low testosterone. And tobacco and uh, drugs, prostate cancer treatment, spinal cord injuries, depression, uh-huh. stress, anxiety, related problems, and too much biking. 
Well, when you're sitting but, like that, it can cause an injury, a physical injury to the prostate. That's right. But what was interesting is all the drugs, all the medications mm. that can cause this. Then you wonder why the number isn't higher than 31%. I mean, look at look at the an enormous number of drugs that are involved here. People are going to be shocked when they hear this. I mean, because... things like just diuretics. Okay, all the different kinds of diuretics can cause this. And high blood pressure medication. And there's a bunch of those, particularly the beta blockers that do it. Uh, and drugs that are used as antidepressants, you know, the SSRI antidepressants. Even antihistamines. You know, things like Benadryl and Dramamine and Vistaril. And NSAIDs. And what about NSAIDs? Some of those can do it as well. It's it's like... Naproxen is one of them for sure. Naproxen and Indocin and, and a number of others. And you mentioned the the disease Parkinson's. Well, there's anti the drugs for it too. Anti-epileptic drugs, anti-arrhythmias. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Even some of the drugs like the purple pills, but not the typical ones. Things like Tacomet, Axid, and Zantac all cause that. And some of the muscle relaxants. A lot of people don't think about you know that these things could cause them problems that way. Right. Then you're looking at other kinds of drugs like. Alcohol and amphetamines and barbiturates and cocaine and marijuana. I mean, the list goes on. So it's even to, nicotine. Yeah. So to me, it's a miracle that we're not seeing more people who have than than thirty one percent having this problem. And then when you look at the drugs that we use to treat for it, Viagra <laughs> and the Cialis and Levitra. What are some of those side effects? There's a lot of side effects just from those medications. You can even have visual disturbances and hearing loss with that. That's right. You can get get, get ventricular arrhythmias and, and strokes and hypertension and heart attacks and GI disturbances and headaches and ventricular on. arrhythmias, all those things just from taking the medications. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not really a, a great answer for it. And then, of course, you can get this thing called a priaprism, which if you... If you get, you wish you'd never never seen these drugs because it means you have an erection for more than four hours. That can be a, a, a real issue. It could be a little embarrassing. Well, embarrassing, but it would be a little painful too. So erectile dysfunction is in general an illness that can be prevented by a healthy lifestyle uh, that includes the psychological side too. I mean, there are a lot of men who have big issues uh, with psychological challenges that uh, lead to this. And, and, and sometimes it leads to performance anxiety or just... Uh, Which would just make it worse. Well, yeah, because then you get all psyched up for it and then, you you know, you, it's like stage fright. Which is exactly what it is. Well, one of the reasons why this study was was such a good idea, really, was it shows that lifestyle factors like improving your weight and eating a healthy diet and exercising more and drinking less alcohol and getting better sleep and less stress, all those things to address the risk factors because actually those things are all healthy for you anyway. Yeah, well, so many diseases are related to, to poor lifestyle. Um, what about supplements or something like this? I, I've read somewhere about L-arginine. What's that and well, what does that it, do? That's good because what it does is it dilates up the arteries to the penis, which is where the problem is. If you can't get blood into the, those arteries, you can't get an erection. So if you can increase the circulation there, uh, that's a good thing. I mean, it, it works a little bit uh, like the Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra do uh, <laughs> by increasing circulation down there but without so many of the side effects. In fact, these drugs also are used to treat pulmonary hypertension where the blood pressure 
in the pulmonary artery where blood goes from the right ventricle into the lungs is too high and leads to big problems with uh, being able to oxygenate blood properly in the lungs. And L-arginine treats that as well. I have a patient who had polio who had big problems with pulmonary hypertension, enough so that his lips were blue and he had to walk around with oxygen. We gave him L-arginine and both problems got better. Uh, wow. Both his, his erectile dysfunction, but also his breathing. That's great. Well, I guess there's a lot more people that have this problem than we know about. Well, That's nobody talks the, about it. Probably the I mean, reason for all those jokes, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, but when you see it as, as as often as we do, I mean, that that means that we need to be doing something that's a little bit different. And now that we have a better understanding of how lifestyle causes these diseases, that lead to erectile dysfunction, I mean, we just have to move forward. Okay. You know, it's not new that there's an epidemic of vitamin D deficiency. No, about vi- 50% of America has a significant vitamin D deficiency. It's, at least. An, it's a really important vitamin. It regulates the function of our immune system and inflor- uh, inflammatory process. Mm-hmm. Well, not only does it reduce the risk for osteoporosis, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, cancer, heart attack, strokes, yeah, right. seasonal videos. affective disorder, but now a current study shows that a deficiency is an independent risk factor for more severe heart disease. And present research results... Um, suggest vitamin D deficiency is the cause and not the consequence of atherosclerosis. Yeah, so, that's a big statement to make. So the lower the vitamin D level, the more severe the heart disease is. Yeah, right. Well, it's it's not really a surprise that vitamin D levels are so low. I mean, why wouldn't they be when you think about how do you get vitamin D? It's really not so much from your food, although you get a little bit from foods that are fortified with it and cod liver oil and fish and eggs and things like that, but it's not a lot. Yeah, it's hard to get enough vitamin D through your diet. The major place that we get vitamin D is where? It's from the the sun. sun. And And there's been so much hype about staying out of the sun, and it's going to cause skin cancer and wrinkles and and making it sound like it's it's an enemy to stay at stay away from it. I mean, all the dermatologists tell you to wear sunscreen and your estheticians tell you to wear sunscreen. Well, and a lot of the sunscreens actually make cancer. make it worse. And they block, yeah. the, they block the vitamin D right. and the chemicals, the the chemicals that are in a lot of the commercial sunscreens combined with the sun actually increase your risk for the skin cancer and all that. Yeah, well, I mean, each, each, I mean, the, the dermatologists have tunnel vision. They're looking at the skin. They don't want you to get sunburn. Well, sunburn will cause skin cancers, okay? But a lack of, vi- of sunlight will cause other cancers uh, in a higher rate, too, because of vitamin D. Things like prostate and lung and, uh, and colon cancers, the risk goes way up. Okay, well, you know, it's like with anything, moderation. Yeah, well, um, but, you but can we be- don't have moderation. We don't get sunlight. It's that simple. And when do you when can you get the vitamin D? It's between ten and two. And the most only, people think that's when to stay out of the sun. They say, Oh, stay out at high noon. But if it's only well, for twenty minutes, you're not gonna get burned anyway. Well it depends on some of the people who are really fair skinned might. But if you have real dark skin, you may need forty five minutes of sunlight. Mm-hmm. And who's getting forty five minutes of sunlight? Keep in mind that UVB rays don't penetrate very deeply. They get through the to the skin and that's about it. It won't go through glass. It won't go through clouds or fog or smog. And so you've got to be in it without sunscreen on. 
and it should be on a large part of your body. It's not just like you're taking a walk in the sun and you've got your clothes on and you've got sunscreen on and a hat and all this exposes your hands or maybe your forearms. That's not going to get you very much vitamin D and that's that's why people are so vitamin D deficient. We aren't out between 10 and 2 even in the summertime that much, at least not exposing our skin. So is it a surprise that we have an epidemic of vitamin D deficiency? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be out in the sun for an average of more than 20 minutes, then you should use a a sunscreen that's uh, a good sunscreen sunscreen that, that, you know, I I have... corner on drsaputa.com and you get a lot of information on healthy uh, sunscreens as well as skincare products. Well, there's another one now, too, that I don't think I have on there that I just found out. Besides Marie Veronique, there's... uh, there's Anne Marie Gianni, mm-hmm. and there's another one too, yeah, Cabana. Exactly. But those have the um, um, zinc oxide in them. Okay. But they do it in such a way that it doesn't make you turn all white, and they're not nanoized, so that's a healthy thing to all not right. be in nanoized. Well, let's look at this study. Okay. Mm-hmm. This was a study uh, that was done on f- almost 1,500 patients. They evaluated levels of vitamin D, and then they looked to see how much heart disease people had. And what they found was is that uh, 70% of people who were undergoing coronary arteriograms had levels of vitamin D that were less than 20, which is quite, it's less than 30, which is the normal, bottom bottom normal range, and 20 is, is quite severe. And in those people who had uh, uh, a level of uh, vitamin D that was 32% uh, lower uh, it had even more, and those that had 20% uh, less had more severe disease, and those that had levels below 10 uh, nanograms per milliliter had double the risk of arteriosclerosis as the rest of the group that was low in vitamin D. So there's a linear relationship, and it looks like there's a a, uh, a benefit in replacing with vitamin D to prevent these things from happening. That's where a lot of the new information is coming from. So, Well, and the data on the supplements is still lacking, but... Well, exactly. But, well, there's some lacking, but we, we now have some studies that are showing that replacing it probably prevents it. All right, we're at the end of the show and want to remind you that we'll be back to talk about what's new in the news and health the first and third Mondays of every month on prn.fm and drsaputa.com from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 to 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Prescriptions for Health will also be available 24-7 on prn.fm. And if you enjoyed today's radio show and you'd like to have more information on the topics that we discussed in video and free access to more than 2,500 audio and video files, click on Health Headlines on the drsaputo.com homepage. And remember, a healthy lifestyle is the most powerful healer in the universe. So if you want to be well, pay attention to the style in which you live your life.